What's up, church? Happy Easter. Glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, the one thing, or one of the things I like about Easter is that we got all different kinds of people in this room. I mean, some of you guys, this is where you go to church. Like, this is your church home. And so you're used to coming here uh, on Sunday mornings. It's totally normal to you. Uh, others of you, maybe this is your first time here. And uh, maybe you're here on your own. You drove past the church or, or you got the, the thing in the mail or you saw a yard sign or something like that. And you're just like, you know what? It's like the American thing to do on Easter. You got to go to a church. And so I'm going to go check that one out. And so you're here. Uh, we're glad that you are here. Uh, others of you, maybe um, you, uh, you're, you're here for the first time because someone, uh, you know somebody in our church and they've been inviting you and inviting you and inviting you and inviting you. And so just to get them off your back, all right, they won't shut up, shut up about it. You're like, okay, I'll go. And, I'll, and, and you're here for Easter. So we're glad that you're here. Um, we know that a lot of people were, uh, were in the routine of going to church and then COVID hit a couple years ago. And, um, and when that happened, I think a lot of us, we just got kind of, you know, derailed from that. And maybe that's you and, and life just gets busy. We totally understand. Um, but you're here this morning and uh, we're happy about that and uh, we're going to have fun with you. Some of you guys, maybe you're Catholic and you're just trying to figure out if this counts. And uh, I don't know if that counts or not, but but uh, have to ask your priest about that one. But um, hey, we got a little bit of everybody in here. We're gonna have we're gonna have fun this morning, and uh, this is actually our third service that we've done. We did two yesterday, and uh, we'll uh, and here we are. We're going we're going on. So, um, have you ever had an offer or encountered an offer that's like too good to pass up? All right, I mean, we've all done this. This has happened from time to time. Uh, either you're at the store or something, you got the sale, the thing that's like sitting in the middle of the aisle, and you're like, you know what, it's a good price. Like, like that's, a, that's a good deal. Maybe you don't, you've never even thought about having one of those before, but when you see it and you see the price, you're just like, well, I got to have that. And so you buy like two or three of them. You know what I'm talking about? All right, those are the things that are in your closets and your attic and your basement right now. All right, um, maybe, uh, maybe if you're like me, sometimes I can't sleep that well at night, and so what I'll do is I go up to, my, uh, up to the living room, and I'll um, lay on the couch, and I'll turn on the TV, and it's usually like a, a good infomercial, you know, will put me right to sleep. And so sometimes I'll be watching that, and, and sometimes I'm looking at it, I'm like, if it works, that's actually a pretty good idea. You ever, you ever do that? Where you're like, man, that's, a, that's, that's not a bad invention right there. And if I call right now, I mean, they're not only going to give me that, but they'll give me four extra as long as I pay separate, separate shipping and handling. But, uh, but that's actually a good deal. And so you're the guy who's got the case of Flex Seal, you know, in the garage, just in case someday you have a boat that has a nice triangular hole in the bottom of it and an extra screen door line around that you can put that in there and seal it all up real nice. Um, in case that situation ever happens. Uh, I used to um, go to auctions a lot and basically waste all my money on tools and stuff. And my wife's, I haven't gone for a long time. My wife's very happy about that. But um, one time I was at an auction and they had a bunch of uh, like, like scuba gear, okay, that was there. And I was like, you know, I don't, do I dive? No. Do I want to dive? No. I do, you know, actually just the thought of breathing underwater kind of freaks me out. Uh, just thinking about that. But it was a good, it was only 30 bucks. And so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta buy this thing. And so I bought it, this huge bag. It was all the stuff you need except for the tank. It didn't have the tank, so I couldn't even test it out. But it was all the stuff that you could possibly need, little computer stuff. It just, you know, I didn't even know what the stuff was. And I remember as I was, I actually had, it was in a huge bag and I was like lugging it to my car and the owner, the previous owner, I was the owner at that point, uh, came up to me and he was like, hey, so glad you got my, you got my uh, scuba gear. And he's like talking to me like I know everything. And I'm like, you know, 
like I know what he's talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a nice flipper in there. All right, glad I got that. And uh, I never used it, ever, okay? Um, but it's like, it was just too good of a deal to pass up, all right? It was too good. Um, has that ever happened to you? Like, like, I think that happens to us once in a while. See, here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth to give each and every one of us an offer that's really, really too good to pass up. And he accomplished that the very first Easter Sunday. See, here at Grace, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of tracking Jesus as Jesus has started making his way towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die and he knows he's going to be killed. And he doesn't, um, he's not in a huge hurry. He doesn't rush there. He's, he takes his time and he stops in village after village after village and town after town after town. And he teaches the people and basically he's teaching people, hey, you need to get right with your creator. And eventually he makes his way to Jerusalem the Sunday before he dies. And uh, when he gets there, right, he, uh, he's greeted by a huge crowd. And the crowds are going wild. I mean, these people are ready to crown Jesus as king. See, the thing you got to understand about the Jewish people is that at that point, 2,000 years ago, they had been waiting for what the Old Testament calls the Messiah, the Savior. That's just what Messiah means. The Savior that was going to come and just fix everything. They've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. For generation after generation. And so Jesus, he's out there. He comes on the scene. And he's like doing miracles. He's healing people. He's doing all this stuff. He's saying things that they've ever heard before. And they're just like, this has got to be the guy. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The crowds are going wild. They're ready to crown Jesus as king. And they're going to overthrow the, the, the oppressed foreign government, which was Rome at that time. And Jesus, when he gets to Jerusalem, he spends that week or most of that week teaching, pointing people to their creator. And the more he taught, what's interesting is the more the religious people hated him. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, I say this all the time here at Grace, but Jesus came as like, let's call him the ultimate religious leader, right? It's like God in, in the form of a man, but he did not gravitate towards religious people. In fact, Jesus and religious people, they constantly were butting heads. And so the more Jesus taught, the more the religious leaders hated him, and they start looking for a way to kill him. Let's fast forward to Thursday night. Right, there's this huge festival going on in town called the Passover. Um, it's something they celebrated every year. In fact, the Jewish people, they still celebrate Passover um, today. And uh, Jesus is there for the Passover. And one of the things with the Passover is you have the Passover meal. For us, it would be kind of like, picture it like the Thanksgiving dinner. Like it's not Thanksgiving if you don't have, you know, turkey in your Thanksgiving dinner. So that's what they were doing at the Passover meal. And Jesus, he's in the second story room and he's there with almost all of his disciples. One of his disciples has, at this point has already left and is actually betraying Jesus for some cash at that very moment. And so Jesus is looking at 11 of his disciples at the table, and he looks at them, and this is what he says. He says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Now, it's interesting when the disciples hear this, I mean, they, they probably hear this stuff all the time. Like, like it's Jesus. He's telling them to love. So they're like, oh, yeah, we know that, Jesus. We've heard you say that like a million times. All right, they've been with Jesus at this point for three years. And they're like, yeah, 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 we get it. But what they don't fully understand is his love for them. Right? Like, they, they didn't know that Jesus was about to demonstrate his love for them and for us in just a few short hours. And ironically, right after Jesus says this, just minutes after Jesus says this, you know what the disciples start arguing about? Who's better than the other? Like they have an argument at the table on Jesus' last night with Jesus about who's better. That's what you get, by the way, when you get a bunch of guys together. It's like, hey, well, I could jump 
higher than you, and I'm faster than you, and that's, that's just what we do. And so that's what they're doing. They're talking about um, who's better than the other. And, and at one point, Jesus, you know, I'm sure, like, imagine what Jesus is thinking at this point. He's just like, did you listen to anything I just told you? Like, where have you been at for the last three years? Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, this is what I got to work with. You got to be kidding me. And at one point, he turns over to Peter, who's probably, who seems to be like the loudest in the group. And, um, and he looks over at Peter. He says, Peter, you don't understand. You think you're so good, you're actually going to deny that you even know me, not once, not twice, but three times before tomorrow morning comes. And Peter hears this, and he's like, no way. He starts arguing with Jesus, right? He starts arguing with God. He's like, hey, you don't understand. You don't know me, Jesus. There's no way. And then Peter gets even more bold. He's like, hey, I mean, these guys, I could totally see them, the rest of these guys doing that. Even if they all bail, I'm with you and I'm with you to the end. I would die for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, it's going to happen. After this, Jesus and his disciples, they walk over to a nearby garden. And it's, it's super late at this point. And it's, it's, it's in the middle of the night. And Jesus, he tells his disciples to pray. And uh, he, uh, so he leaves um, his, uh, the majority of his disciples kind of at the entrance of the garden. He takes Peter, James, and John, right, a little further in. By the way, John's the guy who's, who's writing this, what we're looking at today. He brings them in a little further in. He says, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. I, want you to, I, I really need you tonight. I need you to pray for me. They don't know what's going on. Jesus says, I, I really need you tonight just to pray. And Jesus goes a little further in, further into the garden, and he gets down on his knees, and he begins to pray to the Father. And he's saying, hey, if there is any other way, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's saying, if there is any other way, if there's some plan B that I don't know about, like, like, like Father, there's got to be, like, a better offer here. Like, there's got to be a better deal on the table, because it seems like to me, if there is some plan B, this is an awful waste of my blood tomorrow, but not my will. Your will be done. And after about an hour, Jesus gets up and he walks over to his disciples. He wants to be with them and, and then he finds them sleeping. And he wakes them up and he's like, guys, I, man, I, I really need you tonight. I need you guys to pray for me. I, I, really, I really need your help. And they're like, oh, yeah. They're like, you know, wiping the sleep out of their They're just like, oh, yeah, we got you, Jesus. Sorry about that. All right, it's late. You ever done that where you're trying to like, hey, I'm going to pray for like five minutes and you make it like two and then you're just out, you know. This is what's going on here. They, they can't keep their eyes open, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay, we got you. And Jesus goes. He does that three different times. He comes back, and he finds them asleep. And the last time, he's waking them up, and he's like, hey, it's time. It, it's, it, you know, we're, we're out of time here. And the Bible tells us that he is deeply grieved to the point of death. In fact, he is sweating blood. It's a medical term called hematohydrosis where um, it happens in rare occasions when you're in extreme distress. And so here's Jesus. He's sweating blood. He's in extreme distress. While he's talking, he's waking up his disciples. He's saying, hey, I really need you guys tonight, but we are out of time. Here comes Judas, the, the 12th disciple, with a crowd of people who have torches and swords into the garden. And Jesus calls out to them. He says, hey, who are you guys looking for? As if he needed to do that. He knew exactly what was about to happen. And they say, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And they all fall to the ground. They get up. Judas gets up. Walks probably a little more gingerly towards Jesus. And he betrays Jesus 
with a kiss and they begin to arrest Jesus. Now Peter, he's standing there and again, Peter's a little more of the aggressive, kind of loudmouth type guy. And he's like, well, this ain't going to happen, not on my watch. And he's like half asleep anyway. And so he pulls out his sword and, uh, and he's like, I don't know what's going on here, but Jesus is the Messiah and we're about ready to crown Jesus as king. Remember, Peter thinks that Jesus is going to be the king and he's going to get some probably sweet job, you know, royal job or something like that. And he's, I mean, he's thinking this is going to happen this week. And so he's like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but there's no way you are going to be arresting Jesus. He is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He pulls out his sword, and he starts, I mean, he's, he, he's going for heads. The guy ducks out of the way. He, Peter clips his ear and actually cuts the guy's ear off. And Jesus stands up, and he's like, enough. We're not doing this. And he reaches down, and he picks up the bloody stub of the guy's ear, and he just puts it back on the guy's head. And after Peter sees this, he's like, he just runs. And he takes off. John, who's there in the garden, I mean, this is an eyewitness here. He says, then the company of soldiers and the commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus and they tied him up. Peter and John, they actually start following at a distance. And they take him to the high priest's house. And in the high priest's house, they have this rig trial in the middle of the night. And, and uh, Peter, he's trying to figure out what's going on. John actually kind of works his way into the house because he knows somebody. But Peter, he's stuck out in that kind of outer courtyard. And he can kind of see what's going on through a window or through a door, doorway or something. And so he's, he's listening. And at some point, a little, like, seventh grade middle school girl, like, comes up to him and says, Hey, weren't you with Jesus in the garden? Weren't you there? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter's like, I don't even know that guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't never seen that guy before. She's like, all right. A, a little bit later, two other people, they eventually come over to Peter and they're like, hey, no, 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 you are that guy. Like, like you were with Jesus. We saw you. We saw him. We, we've seen you with him, like in the temple and stuff. And Peter's like, no way. I don't know Jesus. I don't want to know Jesus. I don't have nothing to do with that Jesus guy. And at that moment, the Bible tells us that the rooster crowed, kind of signaling that it's Friday morning. And Peter remembers exactly what Jesus had told him just a few hours before on Thursday night as they were all sitting around that table together. Back when Jesus, well, back when Peter was saying, I would never, ever, ever betray you to anybody. I would never deny you to anybody. And here he is. He's just done it not once, not twice, but three different times. And at that moment, what John tells us, because remember John's there, is that Peter, he looks through at Jesus. He knows exactly what he's just done. And Jesus looks back. Can you imagine what that look looked like? They make eye contact. I mean, I don't think it was like a told you so. Look, you know, they make eye contact and Peter knows. Peter can't take it and he runs away. They then blindfolded Jesus and they took turns punching him in his face saying, hey, you think you're God, all right, who, who just hit you? Right? Who was that, Jesus? Who just slapped you in your face? And they're mocking him. And everything at this point seems to be going according to plan. I mean, think about it for the religious leaders, right? Like, like, here they have Jesus, they have him separated from his disciples, everything seems to be going really well. Um, the, the, they've had this, this kind of fake trial, this rigged trial in the middle of the night, they've already declared Jesus guilty, they just have one problem on their hands, That's, they can't condemn Jesus to death, only Rome, who's in charge, can do that. And so in the morning, in the wee hours of the morning, on Friday morning, they take Jesus to the Roman governor, this dude's name is Pilate, and Pilate examines Jesus, I mean, he's probably, he probably doesn't want anything to do with anything that's going on here, um, and he finds nothing. 
And so Pilate goes out before the crowd that's standing outside of his house waiting for like the verdict. And Pilate says, I find no grounds for charging him. He's like, this guy hasn't done anything. See, Pilate, he wants nothing to do with this Jesus guy. He doesn't want to necessarily kill Jesus, but he also doesn't want a riot on his hand, especially while there's hundreds of thousands of, of visitors and people from all over the world in, in Jerusalem for this Jewish festival called the, the Passover. And so Pilate comes up with this idea. He's like, all right, this is what I'll do to appease you guys, get you guys off my back. He says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flocked. And so Pilate's plan is, I'll have Jesus kind of beaten uh, within an inch of his life, and then I'll display him before these people, and uh, they'll say, oh, okay, good. Jesus got what he deserved. He'll never, he'll never cross us again, and then we'll be good. See, flogging, just in and of itself, was a terrible thing. All right, what they would do is, the Romans, is they would have a whip that would have a bunch of different ends on the end, and uh, tied to those ends would be pieces of glass and pieces of bone and like shards and stuff like that. And so when they would it hit the guy on his back, the, at first it would only just rip off the skin. But then as they kept going and going and going, it would start taking chunks of flesh off of their back, and eventually the ribs would be completely exposed. And so Pilate has this done to Jesus, and not only are they flogging Jesus, but the Roman soldiers, who have no respect for anything Jewish, I mean, these guys are Roman people, it says the soldiers, they also twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe. They begin mocking him and saying, hey, oh, king of the Jews, they're like, hey, look at you, you're the king, and they were slapping his face. And so Pilate, he went outside again, and he readdresses the crowd that's outside of his house after Jesus has been flogged. And he says, hey, look, I'm going to bring him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. This guy hasn't done anything even close or remotely close to deserving death. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate says to them, and he's super proud with himself at this point because he thinks his plan is going to work. He's like, here is the man. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes out, I mean, there's probably some of the disciples, probably Peter and, and John for sure, probably in the crowd watching this, trying to figure out what's going on. The Bible says that they didn't even recognize him. Jesus looks so different. His face is disfigured. His whole body is just like a, beaten to a bloody pulp. And they're like, well, that does not look like Jesus just a couple hours ago. And when the chief priests and the temple servants, when they saw him, they all started shouting together and saying, hey, crucify him, crucify him. They get the crowd worked in. They get the crowd involved. By the way, this is the same crowd that just a few days later on Sunday, this is Friday, on just a few days later on Sunday, we're all welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna, saying, hey, 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 this guy, they're ready to crown him as king. On Friday, they've completely turned against him. This is Pilate responded. As they start shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, kill him, kill him. It says, no, 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 no. You guys take him and crucify him yourselves. See, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with it. He says, since I find no grounds for charging him. Then they answered him. They said, no, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die. Because you know what he did, Pilate? He made himself the son of God. They're saying, hey, this guy claims to be God. All right, so he should deserve to die. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. Pilate doesn't know what to do. All right, really, he's, he's tried everything at this point. All right, he's, he's actually sent Jesus at this point to a, a neighboring governor named Herod. And Herod, who's actually a Jewish guy, that's why Pilate does it. And Herod's like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. He sends him back. 
Pilate's wife is telling him, hey, don't be messing with this Jesus guy. I got a bad feeling about this. All right, I, I, you know, don't, don't put him to death. And Pilate, at this point, he just wants out of Jerusalem. He wants this festival to be done. He wants to go back to his home, his real home. And he just wants out of here. And so Pilate, he's tired of the situation. He gets a bowl of water. He washes his hands in front of the crown. And he says, hey, here's the deal. I am innocent of this man's blood. And the whole crowd starts, starts chanting. They're saying, hey, yeah, his blood's on our heads. And Pilate orders Jesus to be crucified on a cross. And so immediately the soldiers would have grabbed Jesus and made him carry his own cross. But Jesus has already been beaten and so he doesn't make it very far up the road. And as he's walking up the road, he collapses with the cross on top of him. All right, let me just pause real quick. I just want to point out that this is how serious sin is in our life. Right, like this is our Savior. Think about this. This is the God who created the universe, who's all-powerful, who could do anything that he wants, who's sitting on the th- in the throne room of heaven right now at this very moment. All right, 2,000 years ago, he is walking along a dirty street, bloody, beaten, and broken, collapsed under a cross. Because that's the price of our sin. They're not going to let Jesus just lie there. And so the soldiers grab some guy from the crowd, make him carry the cross the rest of the way. And they probably drag Jesus up to the hill where he's going to die. They would have laid the cross down on the ground. They spread Jesus out on top of the cross. They drove nails through his hands and through both of his feet. They took that cross. They put it in a hole in the ground. And Jesus hung there for hours. It's sin, man. It's the price that it takes. And, uh, and he hung there until eventually he died. See, crucifixion was known for being the worst way to die. I mean, it just, it just was. Uh, it was actually designed to keep someone alive as long as possible and as painful as possible. And actually, it was the Romans. They were the ones who perfected it. I mean, very, very few people, we naturally would think it was, oh, they would just die from loss of blood. Actually, very few people died from loss of blood. What most people, what, how they, people would die is that they would actually drown in their own fluids. And when they had to breathe, they'd have to push up on the nails in their feet to breathe. And, uh, and when they would do that, eventually they would run out of, you know, they wouldn't have enough strength to do that anymore. And they would just drown in their own blood. At one point, Jesus is hanging there in agony. He looks over and John is there, the guy who's writing this. And he's actually there trying to comfort Jesus' mom. And, uh, and Mary, she's there and she probably can't even watch. And uh, he looks over at John and he says, hey, John. Take care of my mom. And from about noon to three, it's dark as Jesus hangs there. It's not a quick death. See, we have the opposite view. It seems like we think of Jesus' death on Easter as like, you know, it's a, he's up on a hill. There's, a, there's three crosses there. And Jesus is there and he's hanging there and he's like peacefully going out. I mean, that's kind of how you see all the pictures. That was not at all close to how it was, right? That's not real. All right, this was nasty. I mean, this was brutal. This was, this was gruesome. And at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus, he pulls up for the last time with all of his strength that he's got left, and he just cries out. He says, it's done. He says, it's finished. And Jesus died. Later that night, um, he was buried, buried in a nearby tomb, and uh, Jesus' followers, they were, they were hiding at this point. Because think about it, they had nothing. Like, think about his followers at this point. 
right? They're hoping so bad. I mean, they believed it. Like, they were like, nah, this is, like, like Jesus is the one. They thought, so, they, they had so much hope that Jesus was the actual Messiah. Jesus was the Savior that God had promised to them in the Old Testament. I mean, this is the person that they've been waiting for. Like, look, think of all the miracles that he did and all the, all the things that he said. And, they, and at this point, they had always assumed that he would be a political Savior. You know, he would come, he would overthrow Rome, he would end the injustice in the world, bring peace on earth and end world hunger and just, you know, all this stuff. And for a while, it really looked like Jesus could do all that. I mean, all the miracles, and he, at one point he fed 5,000, another point he fed 4,000 different people, and he stood up to, to the religious leaders, but now he's dead, meaning he failed. Or so they thought. Sunday morning comes. And uh, some women go to the tomb, and, and I'm not, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but uh, this is just what I'm assuming. Um, I think the reason why they go to the tomb is because they knew that some men had prepared Jesus' body for burial. I mean, you know what they're thinking, like these, these women, they're like, all right, I know if Peter, James, and John are in charge of cleaning up the mess, all right, I'm going to have to clean up the cleanup. You ladies know what, that, was that, what that's like, all right, wives. Um, this just happened to me this past week. I was, Kate, she came home from Chicago. She was visiting her parents. And uh, I'm telling her, I'm like, hey, I cleaned up the kitchen. And she's like, that's not clean. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty clean. And she's like, there's a pan there. What's that there? What's all this stuff over here? All right, there's a skillet right there. There's still half a, the bottom half of a pancake stuck in it. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't know how to get that out. <laughs> but, uh, but it's like that. You know, the, I'm sure, I'm, I'm thinking these ladies are like, hey, we're going to have to clean up. The cleanup. And so they go early in the morning, all right, they're going to go prepare Jesus's, Jesus's body. And uh, these ladies are expecting to find a dead Jesus, all right. They're expecting to start the cleanup. They're not planning on any type of resurrection. I mean, these aren't like Jesus groupies who had their lawn chairs and, and their drinks and their stuff for Jesus to sign. And they go and they, they're sitting outside the, the tomb and like, hey, we're going to, no, we're going to, we're ready for the show. And they're like, all right, cue the sun. Okay, let's get the earthquake or whatever is going. All right, let's get the, the light. And then Jesus just arises. They're not, they're not doing that. They're expecting to find a dead Jesus. They're expecting a Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead. See, these ladies, they weren't looking for a miracle. You know what they were looking for? They were looking for closure. The story was over. It was time for them to move on. And when the ladies get to the tomb, the first thing that they notice is that the stone's not there anymore. They're like, whoa, where's the stone? It's gone. It's been moved. Someone moved it. And so one of them, Mary, John tells us, is uh, she goes and she runs to Peter and to the other disciple, the one that, who Jesus loved. By the way, the one who Jesus loved, this is how John refers to himself, okay? So they go to Peter and John, and, uh, and they said to them, they say, hey, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Now, notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't come running up. I mean, this is, Mary's the first one, or these ladies are the first ones to notice that, that Jesus has risen from the dead. But they don't get it. Like, they, they, I mean, their, their automatic assumption is somebody must have stolen the body. I mean, that's what they're saying. They're saying, hey, somebody took Jesus' body, and we don't know where he's at. They don't, we don't know where they've put him. And at that, Peter and the other disciple, John, they went out heading for the tomb. And then John adds this verse in there. I don't know why. This is, again, John's like 20 years old when, he's, when this is happening or in his early 20s. And so this is what we guys do. He's like, just so you know, the two are running together. But John, the other disciple here, ran Peter and got to the tomb first. Just so everybody is clear on who's the fastest disciple. He's saying, stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Because right? John's a little creeped out. It is a tomb. It's dark in there. It's not like they got lights. And then following him, here comes Peter all huffing and 
puffing, you know, behind him. And he, he just goes straight in. And he enters the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the wrapping that had been around Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was actually folded up all nice and neat in a separate place by itself. And John, who had reached the tomb first, here he is, he's reminding us just in case we miss it the first time. He says, then he also went in and saw, and that's when he believed. See, it wasn't the miracles or all the things that Jesus had to say that, uh, that convinced people that he was God. You know what it was? It was the resurrection. This is what clinched it. All right, this is what gave everybody hope. This is what, when people saw this, they're like, he's got to be God. All right, this is, this is exactly who we've been waiting for. He has to be the Savior, the Messiah. He says, but they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't get this. They didn't understand what was going on. And so the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. And later that day, it says Jesus shows up. All the disciples are together. I'm sure there's a buzz going through, you know, all the followers of Jesus are like, he's gone. He's not there. All right, I don't, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. All right, maybe he did rise from the dead like he said he would. All right, we don't know what the deal is here. And Jesus just shows up, which is awesome. Okay, they're all like hanging out. And here comes, pop, Jesus just pops in. He doesn't go through the door. The Bible tells us he just pops in. And, and he starts talking with them. And he's eating with them. And he spends some time with them. There's actually one disciple that's missing. It's this guy named Thomas. And Thomas kind of got a bad rap, unfairly, I feel like. He says, but Thomas called the twin. He was one of the 12. He was now with him when Jesus came. All right, we don't know what, where he was or what he was doing. And so the other disciples were telling him, next time they saw him, they're like, hey, you don't understand. We just had, you know how, you know how we invited you over to, to dinner? And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, you missed it because Jesus showed up. And Thomas is like, no way. Thomas cannot believe it. They're saying, hey, no, no, we've seen him. Like, it's true. Like, he's actually risen from the dead. And he said to him, he says, man, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of, of the nails... And put my hand into his side. That's where they, they shoved a sword in his side. He says, I will never believe. All right, here's Thomas. And, and I, I kind of feel for him because I feel like I would be the exact same way. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're telling me that Jesus has risen. Like, like my friend, this, this guy had risen from the dead. I'd be like, nah, man, I, gotta, I, I, mean, I have to see it to believe it. Like I'm not just believing that. All right? Now Thomas doesn't have to just see it. He's saying, um, I have to like touch it. Like, i got to put my hands there to see if it's true. Like, I, he's, just, he's just not buying it. And then a week goes by. He says, a week later, John tells us that his disciples were indoors again. This time, Thomas ain't missing no more dinners after this. You know what I'm talking about? No more disciple meetings. He's, he's there. And it says, and Thomas was with them this time. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he says, hey, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. My guess is then when he looks over at Thomas, I guess, I'm, I, I'm thinking Jesus is smiling at this point. He says, hey, Thomas, I heard what you said the other day. He says, why don't you put your finger here and look at my hands. And why don't you reach out your hand and put it right here into my side. He says, don't be faithless, but believe. And immediately Thomas just gets down. He's like, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus responds. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Which, by the way, you know who that is? It's us. See, the reason why I want to talk about this, or at least read this, is that we got to understand the disciples were not perfect. In fact, their disciples were far from it. I mean, think of Peter, what he had just done in the last few hours. I mean, he had just promised Jesus he would never, ever, ever deny him. And then he denies him three different times. One of them to a little girl. Right? Think about Mary. Mary. 
Like she was a follower of Jesus. I mean, she's there. She's the first one to witness the resurrection, but she doesn't believe it. She thinks someone just stole the body. I mean, think about, think about Thomas. I mean, here's all of his, you know, his best friends are coming up to him saying, hey, I promise you we've seen him. And Thomas knows the body's gone. And Thomas is like, I will not believe unless I see him and unless I touch him. I mean, they are far from perfect. That's why Jesus had to come. Because God says that every single one of us, we're all sinners. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. By the way, you know what the word all means in the original language Greek? It means all. Okay, everybody, it means all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what this does right here? This makes us all even. That's what it does. Right? It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. It doesn't matter how you grew up. I mean, maybe for you, you had the perfect parents growing up and, and you, they were always home and they gave you gifts and they took you to church on Sundays. You weren't allowed to watch R-rated movies. They tucked you in at night and they told you that they loved you all the time or, you know, all that stuff. All right, that's good. All right, maybe for you, you're, you're sitting there thinking, you're like, parents, man, I didn't even know my dad. Right? You didn't grow up knowing love. In fact, you look back and you hated childhood. So you don't like to think about it much. It doesn't matter. We're all on the same level here. Right? It puts us all on the same level because every single one of us, we are messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people. That's what the Bible tells us, including myself. But many of us, you know what we think? We think we're pretty good. Right? Like most of us in this room, if we were to poll ourselves and say, hey, am I a good person? We're like, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. Like I've done some stuff, but I don't know. It's not that bad. Like it's not that big of a deal. And you know what we're doing when we, say, when we think like that? Is we are playing religion. All right, that's what, that's what religion is. All right, religion is a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, all these things you got to do that somehow, maybe someday, God will look down on us with favor and invite you into heaven. All right, that's what religion is. That's not what Jesus was about. In fact, Jesus was completely against religion. Jesus was saying, hey, it's not about you being perfect. It's not about you doing all this good stuff. It's about you trusting in me. It's about you having a relationship with your creator. Jesus came on the scene and he's saying, hey, you can't be perfect. Jesus came on the scene and saying, hey, you can't impress me with your goodness. I'm not impressed with, your, with the good things that you do. In fact, the Bible tells us that the good stuff that we do, like the best things that we do morally, is like a filthy rag to God. When we get this picture of God, we do something really good that we think, hey, look, you know, look at me. Check me out. All right, just save that person from a burning fire or something like that. Baby or something. And we're like, and, and God looks at that and he's like, that's good, but it's kind of gross to me. It's dirty. You're still dirty. It's like a filthy rag. See, I think most of us in this room, we'd all agree, like we'd admit, hey, I'm not perfect, but you know what we do? We have other people in our lives, and we go, but, you know, I'm better than that dude. You know what I'm talking about? We all do this to an extent. Um, here's the deal. God never compares you to other people. You know who he compares them to? He compares you to himself. None of us even come close. That's a problem. For us. Imagine this. Let's say you're hanging by a chain from the Grand Canyon, okay? You don't know how long it took us to figure out how, how to do that. <laughs> but let's, let's picture this, all right? You're hanging by a chain from the Grand Canyon, and uh, there we go. And uh, you're just hanging over, all right? Now, some of you ladies right now, you're going, now why would anybody want to hang from a chain above a Grand Canyon? And I get it, but probably most of you guys are like, all right, yeah, all right, okay. 
I'm with you. I appreciate that, fellas. All right, so let's say you're hanging over the Grand Canyon, and um, how many links have to break until you fall? One, right? Like, okay, easy question. All right, picture this, picture this. What if you're hanging over the edge of the Grand Canyon like this, and um, your buddy's hanging on a chain next to you, which would be sweet, right? Yeah, you and your buddy, you guys are hanging over. Okay, um, let's say you break one chain, or one, one link, and, uh, and he breaks ten links. Who falls first? There's no difference, right? There's absolutely no difference. It doesn't matter how many links you, you break. You break one, unfortunately, you're going down. Okay? What if, what if you break the, I don't know, the lying link? Okay, that's not good, but it's not that bad. And he breaks the murder link. Ooh. Who falls the fastest? It's no difference. Right? There's absolutely no difference. See, Jesus comes on the scene and he's saying, hey, you guys have all broken your chain. Like, you guys have all broken multiple links. You guys have all sinned. And you know what? When you broke a link in your life, you know what? God didn't stop loving you. Which, on the flip side, just to point out how messed up we are, there's been people in your life who have, who have sinned against you that you have stopped loving. Okay? We've all done that. Or at least stopped showing love too. And so God is saying, hey, he's, he's, I mean, he's just better than us. And so here's the offer that God puts on the table for us. Here's the offer that Jesus made for us. He's saying, hey, you have broken a link. In fact, you have broken more links than you could count. All right, you've broken millions of links. And because you've broken a link, you have a big problem on your hands because those links have to be paid for. Our sin has to be paid for. And so the offer on the table for everyone in this room is, hey, you can either do life your way and you can trust in your, I don't know, perceived goodness, or you can begin a relationship, with God would say, with me and trust only in me to save you. That's the offer. That's what's on the table. Either you trust in yourself or you trust in what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. By the way, let me just say this, no matter what, because God is perfectly just, and because God can't sweep sin under the rug, by the way, that wouldn't be right. Because God's perfectly just, no matter what, your sin will be paid for. The question is, who's paying? So the offer is either death or life. You get to choose. I mean, think about what this is. The offer is, the offer is hey, pay for your own sin, which is eternity separated from God, which is what the Bible calls as hell. Or think about what, what God's offering us. He, you can choose to let God into your life and he can free you from sin where you can have a real relationship with your creator, which by the way, you were created and designed and built to have. And not only that, but he will pay for everything that you've ever done wrong is what he did on the cross. And even above that, he will adopt you into his family as a son and daughter and he will be the perfect dad to you. And even more than that, you get to live with him forever. Or you could pay for it yourself. I mean, it's a, it's, there's no question. He's saying we get to choose. I mean, it's a great offer. It's a great deal. It is too good to pass up and it is too good to sit on. The Bible says all you have to do is ask. That's it. That's it. You just got to ask Jesus. You got to invite him into your life. He's not going to force his way in there. It has to be your decision. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know, you know, what you're dealing with in life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But every single one of us, I don't, you know, we all have this decision to make. 
There's probably a good handful of us that we've made this decision in our life. But there's a good handful that hasn't. Right? Just because you believe in God and think you're a good person, that does not get you to heaven. That does not mean that you have a good relationship with God. In fact, James, at one point in the Bible, he's like, yeah, you know, the demon, Satan believes in God. Good for you. It's about having a relationship with him. And so I just want to give everybody a shot or at least a chance or a decision to kind of bring us all to that choice here today. And so I'd ask if everybody would just close their, their eyes and bow their heads. Um, I'm only doing that because I'm not in the equation. I have nothing to do with your personal decision with your creator. It's just between you two. And God says all you have to do is ask. So here, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know that I know that I know that I know that, if, that I have a re real relationship with him. Then I advise you to pray something like this. And it's not about a certain amount of words. And you don't even have to pray this out loud. God knows your every thought. It could just be between you and your creator, the, the, the God who wants to be your perfect dad, who wants you to live with him forever. It's just a conversation between you two. And it, it might go something like this. Dear God, I know that 2,000 years ago you came down and you were left your throne room and you were born in the dirt. You lived a perfect life and then we, as people, we put you to death in a horrible, terrible way. And God, because of that, I mean, you did that partly for me. Because for some reason you love someone like me, even though I constantly rebel against you, even though I'm a sinner, even though I've broken so many links and made so many mistakes. God, I want you in my life. I want a real relationship with you. And I invite you in here today, right now. And I thank you for what you did for me. You died so I didn't have to. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Pretty simple. It's not complicated. It's, it's, he, he makes it easy for us. And what I encourage you to do, if, if maybe this is the first time in your life where, I don't know, where it's like, like, kind of clicking or it's just making sense for the first time. You're like, okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's what I want. Maybe you had that conversation, that quick conversation with God. What I encourage you to do, if you would for us, grab one of those connect cards from the, from the pocket in front of you. Even if you've already filled one out earlier in the service, just throw your name on it. Check that you believe today, and uh, we'll have ushers by the doors. You just toss that in. That's it. Um, we're not going to show up at your house or do anything weird or even call you. All we're going to do is we're just going to send you a tiny little book that uh, I think explains it better than how I've explained it here today. Just to uh, help answer any kind of questions or anything like that that you might have. Um, by the way, if you're in here and you uh, didn't get your card filled out in time, all right, we want you to still fill out your card and drop that um, in the offering plate as, as we go by as you leave um, today too, if you do that. But the cool thing about it is the whole Easter story is based on the fact that God wants a relationship with you. Isn't that sweet? I mean, God of the universe wants a relationship with you. That's the whole reason why John writes this. How John wraps up his book is basically he says, hey, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He's like, man, I saw so much those three years that I was with Jesus, so much. And he said so many things that I couldn't possibly write them all down. But what I did write down, I wrote down so that you may 
believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he actually is the Son of God, that he actually was God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, he did this so that he could put the offer on the table. And man, it's a good offer. It's too good to pass up. Let's pray. God, we thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord, and specifically for the cross. Lord, you died for us when you didn't have to. You did that voluntarily. You chose to because for some reason you love us. I don't even understand why. We're constantly rebelling against you. But you care. And we thank you so much for saving us because we can't do enough good to possibly save ourselves. It's impossible. Lord, we ask that if there's anybody here in this room that hasn't made that decision, that they would give their lives over to you today because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And we thank you for so much that you've done. Thank you for this church, this new church. It's only been here for a little while. This group of people that you've put together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.